and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are back here. It is the day after Christmas. We hope everybody had a great and happy and healthy Christmas. And we've got some great news coming up because in just two short days, our girl Gyps, that is Gypsy Rose Blanchard, is getting out of prison. She's finally going to be free, y'all. Oh, what are you feeling about this? I'm feeling a lot of feelings. Well, what I saw, she also, so one of her like goals or like one of the things on her bucket list was that she, she's a Swifty and she wanted to potentially meet Taylor Swift. Oh, and I want to say it's on the 31st. I'm going to probably get it wrong, but she like, one of the first things she has booked after she gets out of jail is to go. She's going to go to a Kansas City Chiefs game in hopes of meeting Taylor Swift. God, I want this for her. And I want to say it's on like the 31st or something like that. So she is and I'm I'm like all about it. I hope she's and actually, okay, this is going so psychotically like into it. Taylor Swift, very good friends with Selena Gomez, who actually she went to, I want to say it was like a crime con, like everybody kind of come together and like ruminate on this case and give your input type of thing. Selena Gomez and her mother showed up and went to this. It was before COVID, I even want to say. And so like she's very much into this type of thing, going down a very big rabbit hole here. But I assume that I don't want to get ahead of things, but like I would probably guess that I wouldn't be surprised if we have a picture in the new year of our girl uh, Gypsy Rose and Taylor Swift. Oh, I would love that for her. And believe it or not, folks, Gypsy Rose actually said that Taylor's song Eyes Open was what helped her push through the trauma from her mother's abuse. So, I mean, Taylor just means a lot to Gypsy. This is really important to Gyps that she meets our girl Tay-Tay. And I just, I hope that she gets that. I really do. Because I do too. she deserves yeah. all the best. She's just been through hell and back. And now that she's out, she she was on good behavior. They're letting her out. She did what she had to do. And, you know, she just really deserves this redemption story. So there's going to be an ebook that's actually released on January 9th, and it's called Released, Conversations on the Eve of Freedom. So that's really exciting. And Penguin Random House, the book company, said that Gypsy was just seeing her story get told over and over again in the media, from news reports, podcasts, hot cough cough, TV series. But yeah, now that she's granted this early parole, she wants to start a new life and she's ready to speak her. about her yeah. story. So this book is really exciting. It's yeah, like I said, it's an ebook. And I can't wait to see the story and hear the story from Gypsy's perspective. Well, and I hope the person that's like guiding her through it, kind of like talking through events, is someone that is trusted, who actually has like her interest in mind. Because I feel like I do worry that her release, she's going to be easily taken advantage of. Yes. And like, regardless, I think we've covered this story before and we're both very hopeful that on the 28th, good old Gyps Rose will, I don't 
know, be released and have a good future ahead of herself. Yeah, I think we feel a special kinship with Gyps because she's our exact age, pretty much. She yeah. And just to think what she went through during a time when we were growing up and were really given, you know, all the advantages in life and just did not go through anything like these struggles. To see somebody our age grow up during our childhood, but with all these horrible things imposed on her by her mother who had Munchausen's by proxy, we'll just remind you, where basically a caretaker takes pleasure in causing a cared-for person to be ill and making them sicker to look like they're this amazing caretaker to get extra exactly. attention, yep. get accolades, whatever. And Dee Dee did that to a T. And the family got money. They got kickbacks. They got trips they got to Disney. House. They got a house. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff just to refresh everybody's memory. You can also go back to our episode about Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard. And if you want to hear more details about kind of what Dee Dee did and why it was so horrible and why Gypsy was motivated to kill her mother. But yeah, I... All in all, we are just very, very hopeful for Gypsy to have a renewed life and a renewed sense of self in this new life now that she's been given a second chance. Yeah, I think it's very hopeful that, like, for once the, like, rehabilitation of the judicial system will actually work. She'll come out, be a better person, and actually, I don't know, I think many people, and actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but... Trisha Paytas. Yep, she actually wants to uh interview our our girl Gyps. Oh and, my god, oh, I would love. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, who better than me to oh, interview Gyps?" But we shall see. I don't know. I would I, love I, nothing more. I would listen to Trisha poop all day because I just love her so much. I, mean, I know we're both big I, fans. I, we are, but I did see something the other day and it actually made me love her more, but also like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what are you doing? She was talking about the fact that she bought all of the songs she listened to. Did you see this? It's ringing a bell. Yep. She bought all the songs she listened to from iTunes for one twenty nine or like whatever it was. And she's like, oh, well, I want to, like, own it or I want to, like, whatever. And then I don't know what podcast or, like, what I, – I, I don't know the people that were interviewing her, but they were like, okay, but Spotify, you could pay, like, a monthly rate and you can listen to all the songs. And she's like, no, but, like, I want to, like – Own but these the, songs. I'm, but there's ads or, like – and they're like, no, there's not ads or, like, something like that. And she's like, okay, but, like – at the end of the day, like, her last line was like, oh, I want to support these artists. And, like, all right, okay, okay, fine. We'll, like, we'll cut it off it. there. We'll, like, let it go there. But, like, oh, I don't know. It was, like, Jesus, Trisha, like, oh, Our girl Trisha. Spotify, like, oh. Uh, Trish Like Fish is not the smartest. We love her dearly. But, But yeah. she also probably is supporting these artists, like, much more than Spotify. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, like, buying the songs 129 or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. And hey, if you can afford to do it, I mean, for her, it doesn't break the bank because she's got a ton of money. But it was funny. I was just like, oh, Trisha. Oh, you tried. Yeah. Missed the mark It was sweet, but it was was well-intentioned. Yeah. But anyway, getting into this week's topic, we are continuing on our trail of the delightful eight passengers topic. 
And we left off last week, we covered a ton of the ramping up process of the different concerning behaviors that was shown in the eight passengers blogs. And there's a ton of it. And we talked about the timeline. We talked about how at first it seemed like just strict Mormon parenting, but things just devolved and got worse and worse and worse. And there is a pretty linear timeline during which you could just see the behaviors getting worse and worse and more and more concerning. Yeah. So most of the behavior we covered in last week's episode it also kind of coincided, like it got worse and it coincided with Jody's presence in the family. And whether or not it was explicitly kind of stated, looking back, it's very obvious that, especially with Chad's kind of struggles, if we even want to like kind of put it that way, Jody kind of very much became involved with the family and it just increased after that. So this week in particular, we're definitely going to go back into Jody's background. So God, we're on like the fifth episode, I think now, which is kind of crazy. But I think the background we've set is a very good kind of primer on the Frankie family, the vlogging, all that type of stuff, and kind of how it was kind of benign or kind of, I don't want to say benign, given the fact that like, I don't think it's great to exploit your kids in any regard in this kind of like family vlogging culture. But the Frankies were definitely kind of at the forefront of that. And we know a lot more than we did back then. But looking back now, given the different lens that we kind of have, especially with Kevin, and again, he's the father. Ruby is the mother that we have the special episode talking about her with the plea deal. She's going to serve time. We also had mentioned that the sentencing was going to be February 10th. It's actually February 20th at 10 a.m. CST. So so um, 11 a.m. our time in Eastern time. Good old times. 8, 7 central. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what, what the fuck is 7 central? And my parents would be like, like, why would you tell us that? Yeah, like, like, why do we care? Do we care? And also, like, create a different ad for the central time, people. Yeah. And also... Truthfully, after I realized that, it was like, oh, those poor people having to watch it, like, so much yeah, earlier. Or, like, like such, what if you're not home from a, school in yeah, time? like, such a dumber time. Like, It oh. is a dumber time. And not to mention, like, yeah, it just, I don't know, it threw me off. And Ugh. I, like, thought that it was just a way of saying the time. So for a time, I was like, <laughs> my mom would be like, what time is it? And I'd be like, it's 8, 7 central. And she's like, you dumb shit. Oh. That is not a thing. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Oh, so embarrassing. So picking up this week, we're just going to start with a comment from Kevin's attorney to sort of set the tone for this episode. Kevin's attorney, who is a bit too media hungry, it kind of seems, but maybe it's a good strategy for him to get out there and talk to the media on Kevin's behalf because... Hey, no press is really bad press at this point. Mm-hmm. But the attorney describes Jody as, quote, an onion with an octopus inside. Which I'm not going to lie. Like, seeing this guy, he, he kind of gives me like a, ooh, Yeah, just kind of like a slick, like kind of, Used car salesman type? Yes, very much so. Very much so. But as stuff has come out, I'm like, 
maybe this is in the long run kind of the like good strategy. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah. Well, what a weird analogy. Do you understand what it means? I mean, I don't. I think it was on the spot and he was trying to like throw something out. But after looking back on it, I'm like, maybe it's not the worst analogy. Like, I don't know. Right. Well, yeah, there's certainly layers to who Jody is. There's definitely layers to what her motives are. And then the idea that inside there's an octopus with multiple arms, kind of multiple connections to different areas that go way beyond the Frankies. It it might not be the least apropos thing this guy could have said. I mean, it wasn't the best metaphor, but could he have? Yeah, Yeah, not the worst. I mean, you think of like the onion, you know, Mm -hmm. like that like fake news outlet or whatever, or or just like in general, like you. Everybody says like, oh, peeling back like the layers of the onion. You peel them back on Jody, and then it's like, oh, you peel it all back, and then it's like, oh, the tentacles like go far reaching. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not he was like trying to be eloquent with like how he kind of posed it or whatever uh, or phrased it, should I say? Um, I don't know. It kind of makes sense, and I think it's kind of a good thing to set the tone of like, oh my god, like. Jody, 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 like pull it back, pull it back, and then it's like, oh my God, you get to the center, and, and it there's just a lot there, like, yeah, yeah, it expands out. It's kind of crazy, yeah. So whether or not he meant to like actually make a point, I think the way he described it actually did make kind of sense. Yeah, so. which so there you go, attenuated weird ass metaphor, but hey, it's not the worst thing we've ever heard. And if we want to go into Jody's background a little bit. She was born in 1969, the summer of 69. So she is 54 years old, and she was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. So the center of the good old Mormon state. Yep. So who knew it better than Jody at this point? And she had eight siblings. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of Duggar kind of adjacent connections and Turpin adjacent. And there's the whole J naming thing, which I know you can talk to in further detail. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. I don't think there's anything that like, I don't know, kind of makes sense why this has kind of happened. I think J, J names are, are common, especially with boys. Like you have John, Jack, blah, 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 blah. Very weird looking at it that you have like the Duggars. The Turpins and like all these other families, Jody included, where it's like, oh, we're going to have like two children, then four children, then six children, then eight children. And we're going to name them all with J names. It's just, oh, there's like, I feel like there's some study that could be undertaken there. And it's just, I don't know, it's weird, concerning, but Jody falls right in, in line with the Duggars and... In good and bad company right there. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of being Mormon, Jody graduated from BYU, again, that's Brigham Young, in 1985. So she had this very Mormon family. She went down the Mormon path of graduating from BYU. She's kind of doing all the things that you're supposed to do as a good Mormon. Yeah, checking all those boxes. And this, this actually, I listened to a couple podcasts this last week and- it was very kind of like the info that was out there was like, oh, God, what's going on? Um, but I think the the full picture. So Jody married in 1999, right before the millennium. She was probably concerned that like, 
Y2K. Y2K was coming for you. And she had Y2K children. <laughs> but then crazy enough, she filed for divorce after being married for only one and a half years. Which is crazy for a Mormon person. It's very crazy. And then it also, like, if you look at the actual, like, documents out there, and this was very concerning and or, or just very confusing until I went back and listened to Jesse's, her niece's interview. So essentially she filed for divorce and then the divorce was actually granted a, approximately like 10 years later, which is crazy. Which is nuts. Why would it take so long? But she had only been married at for like a year and a half, two years. So she had a child, filed for divorce, and was pregnant with the second child at that point. So it was like a year and a half. And then she tried to just like drag her husband, now her ex-husband's name through the mud, um, and just tried to take him for all he was worth in the court system, should I say in the legal system, and then also in the church. She tried to get him excommunicated. She tried to um, take his temple recommend away like and all of this over 10 years dragged it out like, like yeah it just it goes to show how vindictive she is and the potential to just really wreck someone's life if she wants to yeah and i i get the anger that's associated with divorce and you know wanting to just oh absolutely wreck your ex-husband, yeah. but i mean clearly weirdness about how rules she sounds like she was when she tried to really destroy this person well, and, and can can you imagine being married to someone for a year and a half and then dragging that out for like 10 years after the fact to filth yeah right. dragging him to like, filth oh yeah she clearly holds just, a grudge crazy <laughs> yeah 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 not hard for jody and obviously she got that University of Utah master's degree in counseling psychology in 2003. Hello. So there that is. We go into why we think maybe she shouldn't have ever gone down that path. Oh, yeah. With. It's not a good time. She was eventually licensed in 2005 and she would go on to specialize. And this is where, oh God, I don't know, all these things, these little like breadcrumbs along the way. She would specialize in counseling, in relationship counseling, and addictions, specifically in porn addiction. Of all things. And if you remember, we kind of hinted to this in one of our earlier episodes, um, pornography in the Mormon church is like a major taboo. Masturbation, pornography, most men especially, and not to like stereotype, but like, you know, going through you know, normal development, men are especially going to deal with these things. And in the Mormon church, it's pathologized. So in the Mormon church, like, and we'll get into this actually with getting into the details of Jody's niece, Jesse, pornography, masturbation, um, lusting, that type of thing is essentially in the Mormon church, it's pathologized and just looked at as a sin next to murder. So, like, think of that. If, like, if you're a, a like believing Mormon, like you're a man, you're. I don't mean to kind of like stereotype, like pigeonhole these type of things, but essentially, especially in the Mormon culture, men are 
already set up essentially to kind of be like they're kind of you know yeah I mean? they're like set up to fail basically because and they're also treated as feeble in a way like they're open they're vulnerable yes, yes. to kind of like or the like, feminine wiles and well it's like yeah no control it's like exactly it's like you're you're susceptible yes to, yes thank and, you and the thank women yep. are more responsible like, and yep. to control themselves yep. and to control their looks so that the men don't get tempted and because once they get tempted you know they're so vulnerable and can just fly off the handle and can't control themselves and if you remember when we talked about this with the Duggars Nike was the code word that the Duggars would use when there was you know a woman walking by where I was trying to go yeah dressed immodestly they would just say Nike so that the boys would know to avert their eyes and look down at their shoes and that's exactly kind of where we're going here where again it's not the responsibility isn't put on the men so much exactly like it's put on the women and but because of the vulnerability and the susceptibility of men to these different kind of feminine wiles and again obviously all that's wrapped up into pornography all that's wrapped up into lustfulness into masturbation all of those kind of quote-unquote sins are viewed as right up there like you said next to murder which is insane that there's no there's no discrepancy. There's no order of events. And, like, where's the priority here? Do we want people walking around murdering each other just as much as masturbating? Like, right. I don't know. Like, if. No, it's crazy. And it just, you're, you hit, like, the nail on the head there that, like, it's awful. The, the interviews we'll get into, especially with Adam Paul Steed kind of talking about it, where prophets in the Mormon church, they have these, um, Twice a year, they have conference where essentially all the Mormons like stay home, watch their speaker, their leaders kind of speak. And for especially during like the 90s and early 2000s, they were harping hardcore on this kind of like lustful, like like this whole kind of narrative. And there was one speaker that actually spoke to women saying like, if you don't dress modestly enough and like even getting down to the like craziness of like, Oh, you have two ear piercings or you have like like crazy stuff. And essentially he said, you're walking pornography, which Which is like, (laughs) is crazy. And just the idea that women can be objectified to that extent where if you have two earrings in one ear, you're walking pornography. And it's all your responsibility. Like the man's going to like cheat on you treat you horribly like oh but it's your fault because like you dress that way yeah you have two ear piercings like oh all you like exactly yeah you you screwed up yeah and it just it gives you an idea of why women are screwed but men are also screwed in this religion because very true it's just you sort of can't win because the women are responsible not only for themselves but for the men who are looking at them and then the men are just set up to fail because they're expected to be so susceptible to women right. they can't they can't, can't control, control themselves. themselves yep exactly yeah. so like it's yep. it's really a weird way to look at things and it kind of it takes all the responsibility off men and puts it on women 100 percent. i love i don't love but great parallel with the duggars because it's the same exact thinking where it's like nothing is on the man like oh they're, they're like their eyes like they can't control themselves it's all about the women 
like we can't even let them look at a woman dressed immodestly because who knows what'll happen oh my god they can't control themselves like oh well he he cheated right not his fault like clearly that woman was just like oh showing a shoulder right exactly so yeah so we mentioned before that jody was included on this approved list of mormon practitioners that these bishops would refer different church members to so jody was on that list This is like this great list. And if you were looking for a Mormon therapist, you were going to go and consult this list that the bishops put together and you would take somebody from that list. And just as a reminder, the clergy, again, in the Mormon church are actually just lay people that are called to that role. But again, like they take this very seriously, this role of referring people from the church to specific practitioners who have been selected for this list. While a bishop in the Mormon church is still equivalent to a priest in the Catholic church, the difference is that the bishop is just a member of the local congregation. But again, they, they have this calling and it's this position of still authority in the church. The belief is too after they're called to this, that they have some type of discernment or like they were called for a reason. They have like this kind of direct line to God and their discernment and whatnot in fact this kind of is interesting after looking at kind of where ruby is now her father was actually called as a bishop for a period of time and he and ruby's mother actually have been on a senior mission up until thanksgiving this year wow Um, it's a whole separate thing that i have a very strong opinion on i actually don't i didn't put it like in here but I don't know. I have a very strong opinion on the fact that like her parents were um, very deep into this whole thing and took a whole mission and did not come back. Like it's been quite a bit of time and they have not come back up until very recently. I don't know. It's a whole separate thing we'll get into. Definitely shows kind of the importance of the Mormon church in Ruby's family and her upbringing in just kind of the mentality of the Griffiths, as we have talked about before, which is Ruby's maiden name, and the Frankies, like the Mormon church is very much an influence in kind of how how this all kind of played out. Yeah, you just basically wonder like whose hands are in these bishops getting chosen and Mm. called to order, and then, you know, whose hands are in the list of people that are being put together by the bishops. Absolutely. So... This list of Mormon approved practitioners, especially in like this up and coming kind of field of um, psychology, Jody was essentially one of the most most recommended practitioners in they call it the Wasatch Front, which I think is the lower half of Utah. I don't know. I don't know much about Utah's makeup. But she was very much so getting a t- like the majority of her recommendations for patients were coming from the Mormon church and were actually paid for by the Mormon church. So Jody actually is living now in like a three million dollar home. Kind of crazy. It sounds so awful, but you don't become that kind of wealthy by being just a good practitioner, especially right. in Utah you got to be kind of endorsed by the Mormon church. Speaking of demonizing men, Jody really had a fixation with 
hating on and demonizing men. And this is just a theme throughout her practice, throughout her life, and throughout her infiltration of the Frankie family. And we're not going to speculate on Jody's sexuality, but the comments across the internet have raised a ton of questions about where she stands. Is she straight? Is she gay? What's going on here? We will tell you that Jody had a tendency throughout her known client interactions, specifically when she was looking at couples, to demonize the men and use tactics to separate the couple and isolate the woman. So in doing this, she would alienate the woman and she would ensure that she strongly aligned with Jody's viewpoint and opinions on the relationship. And I mean, honestly, this is like Ruby, Kevin, like most out there example of all of this. Now you can hear Jesse and we'll get into Adam Paul Steed, like his example, his experience, but the most kind of publicized example Ruby and Kevin, and we're not going to speculate. We will, you know, kind of put that out there right now. We're not going to speculate on sexuality, Jody's relationship kind of thing she might have going on with Ruby, what might have been going on after the fact. But there is definitely kind of a history or multiple examples that. I don't know. There's there's definitely this kind of like separation, alienation, alienation, demonization. but then also Jody kind of getting the woman of the relationship on her side, making that woman kind of side with her and then demonize the husband in that relationship to the point of like even, you know, I think kind of in Kevin's case and especially in Adam Paul Steed's case, going to a legal filing charges level. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely there's something there, but I don't think it's our – we're not in the place to kind of speculate on Jody's sexuality. No, but we can point. give you the cold hard facts of kind of what her treatment, quote-unquote, entailed and what her common known goals – decisions and drivers were and it was just like you said to isolate the woman alienate her from her husband and get her to side with Jody on whatever she was saying yeah just to kind of preface at least kind of where we are now with Jody's abuse going into her background before it eight passengers several of Jody's former patients have come forward since her arrest and they are it's very brave but they're willing to tell their stories we will summarize their stories and especially we will focus in on the stories of two very impactful former patients who have since kind of gone public with what they experienced at Jody's hands so both of these victims actually went public and told their stories to the Mormon Stories podcast, and this podcast actually covers the stories of major, like the majority of people that are interviewed on this podcast are those leaving Mormonism, but they're also, um, I don't know, I would definitely, if you're interested in this topic, suggest kind of looking into this podcast. After going through these different accounts, and they're very long, but again, I would definitely recommend kind of looking into the full interviews with both Jesse Hildebrandt. So just kind of 
give the details. Jesse Hildebrandt and Adam Paul Steed, I would definitely recommend kind of looking at their full interviews because we'll see a lot of parallels to the information that has come out for RF and EF especially, but also with Kevin, Ruby's now kind of husband who has filed for divorce, so soon to be Mm -hmm. ex-husband. But you'll see a lot of parallels in the parent-child, familial relationships, spousal relationships, all those type of things. We're trying to determine because there's just – there's so much information coming out. There's so much that has come out in the last like month, two months, and then stuff that's still coming out. I don't think we mentioned it actually in our little bonus episode there, but Jody will actually be going to, to trial and is apparently going to enter also a plea deal on the 27th. So, so much is coming out. So we're trying to determine kind of the best way to cover all of this information and we kind of decided that chronological would hopefully kind of make the most sense given kind of where we are the background that we've given up to this point I think going into Jesse Hildebrandt who is now 30 years old going to into their story and then going into Adam Paul Steed and then kind of I will say kind of spoiler alert if you don't want to put it that way it kind of feels bad to put it that way but after Adam Paul Steed's story Jody is kind of forced to relinquish her license for a period and kind of rebrand. And this is when she goes into this life coach situation. And after that, this kind of just catapults into the whole eight passenger situation where this life coach, this whole kind of alternative mental health, mental support situation but I think what we're trying to do is just kind of go through chronologically Jesse then Adam Paul Steed and then getting back to Jody getting into Connections classroom which is the biggest part of her whole story and how she became integrated with Ruby and then kind of going from there how that influenced Ruby's relationship with both her husband and her children and eventually kind of led to where the whole family is now. So we're going to get into the story of one type, one person's abuse at the hands of Jody. And this individual's name is Jesse Hildebrandt. And before we get into Jesse's story, we do want to note that Jesse uses they, them pronouns. So in their interview on Mormon stories, we're just going to note too, because it's a little bit confusing and a little bit conflicting in terms of identification they do use the term niece, so specifically the female niece-nephew binary. So now that we know that they're okay with that and that they use that terminology, we are also going to refer as Jesse as Jody's niece. And Jesse is the child of Jody's brother. So niece, they, them, got him. We also want to note after reading Ruby's plea that came out on 1218, you can see a lot of parallels between Jesse's story and the different treatments of RF and EF, which is very unfortunate. As you know from our last kind of bonus episode, the different treatment that was outlined in the plea is just abhorrent. It's disgusting. And it's outright abuse. Yeah. So to think that Jesse, and to kind of prime you to get into Jesse's story, you know that Jesse suffered similar abuse it's very very sad for them and over like a decade 
and a half earlier. Which just goes to show, it's I mean, so, this ugh. is a pattern. This is a longstanding pattern. This is something that Jody has been doing for a long time. It's yeah. not a new thing. It's not just these kids, just the situation. It's obviously her own family, too. So, yeah. So I will say listening to jesse's interview jesse is like extremely intelligent in their own right if you can go ahead listen to mormon stories podcast go over there listen to it give it your listen give it your view it absolutely is worthwhile because jesse in their own words is much more compelling to listen to than us just kind of recounting but i think it is very worthwhile to kind of give at least a primer of where kind of Jody progressed in her practice or just kind of like treating patients and then crossing the line like like she did with crossing the line with Ruby as a patient then as a business partner Jesse as a family member crossing the line as then a patient like so many lines. lines yeah like everything was crossed there when Jesse was a teenager they were sent home with their Aunt Jody for stuff that Jesse kind of described as being like normal teenager kind of stuff. Just Sounds familiar, a la Chad. Great point. Yep. Um, so just kind of being like an angsty teenager, pushing back, just like typical, typical stuff. And again, I think Jesse has great self-awareness and has said in this interview, like, I was just like kind of an angsty, typical teenager, but nothing that was, I'm out on the corner, like have knives on me, like trying to like, yeah, like something crazy. Well, and the way, again, it's always these disproportionate reactions to really low key stuff, typical teenager stuff, and just a disproportionately harsh punishment that is just out of whack compared to what the actual quote unquote crime was to begin with. Yep. Yep. When Jesse was kind of, and I will preface this by saying that, and I hate to say this, we did kind of mention this last time that Jody was one of the, the therapists at the camp that Paris Hilton went to, which was essentially after actually listening to Adam Paul Steed's interview she touted that as kind of like her claim to fame or one of her like, oh, I met with this person, like I was the the counselor for this person, blah, blah, blah. And now years later, we learned like, oh, you were the counselor and that did not go well. Like the abusive yeah, counselor like that, was that we the, heard about. Oh, yeah. You were the therapist. Not a good thing. Anyway, at this point, Jesse was essentially kind of kidnapped in the way that a lot of these kids going to the camps or whatever you want to call them in the desert would be where where they were at a family event and were kind of like complaining about washing the dishes or blah, blah, blah. And Jesse's parents were convinced by Jody to essentially let them go home with Jody because clearly they were struggling with all these problems and Jody could, you know, kind of fix them and um, sort these things out. So at the time, Jody took Jesse back to her home and she had two children. And for a side note here, Jesse actually describes Jody's daughter today. And we're not going to use any names here, but it sounds like according to Jesse, 
Jody's daughter has cut off all contact. A great sign for Jody. Clearly, like re- resounding recommendations here. Like your own daughter has not had contact with you for like a decade and a half. But, and like, changed her name. Yeah. To cha- avoid you. Changed her name. Like literally does not want anything to do with you. But has a phenomenal relationship with her biological father. So and her cousin. Yeah, and her cousin. Like what does that say? I don't really know, but probably nothing good for you, Jody. <laughs> it's just kind of laying the groundwork here that Jody, even with her own family, like could not maintain relationships for long term with anyone, like anyone with her family too, like the people that are supposed to put up with you for the longest term. Right. For better or for worse. Yeah, like you're supposed to go through a lot of stuff and like these people are like, uh, nope, goodbye. Yeah, even they are running for the hills yeah. from Jode. So. Yeah. Jode the Chode. I was just going to say <laughs> Jode the Chode. Yeah. It might not, as well be run over bode. in the road. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so I think we're going to cut things off there because there's a lot to get into with Jesse. But we just wanted to set the stage for kind of who they are, what their experience was with Jody, and why they're an important player in this, along with... Along with Adam Paul Steed. It's kind of crazy and, like, serendipitous that it was Jesse and Adam Paul Steed that came forward and kind of gave their stories right at the same time after this became public. Because you have Jesse who I will tell you a lot of their experiences and anecdotal, you know, kind of stories and whatnot that they went through. Absolutely. Even before what just came out on the 18th. So Jesse, I want to say was interviewed possibly in September. Adam Paul Steed was right around the same time. If not, I don't know, maybe like at the, at the latest a month later. Um, And this was all coming out before, all of this stuff that we learned about what happened to RF and EF and also a lot more details that we've learned about Ruby and Kevin's relationship and the interaction and involvement of Jody, um, And both of their experiences, I think, really validates the experience, not that it was needed, but but just adds more legitimacy to the experience of RF and EF. Um, reading the plea deal that just came out on the 18th, it was so many things harken back to Jesse's testimony on Mormon stories about what they went through under Jody's care. And then so many things that have come out. And this is by no means to discount Kevin, the father's responsibility in caring for his children, being involved in his children's lives, knowing what's going on. I will say, kind of listening to Adam Paul Steed's testimony, again, also on Mormon Stories podcast, like so many things just just resonated with Kevin's very talkative attorney, what he's come out with, and just kind of the info that's come out on Reddit and other things, like you can see Jody's hand and how it has influenced um, kind of the separation and difficulties and why I hate to say it, but like I, I would give him the benefit of the doubt for kind of being uninformed on what's going on or what happened, like where his kids were, what was going on, that type of thing. Long way of saying, I think Jesse is a perfect example or perfect kind of witness to give more insight into how Jody and then as a as a byproduct, Ruby abused 
their children and then also kind of Adam Paul Steed how Jody influenced Ruby and Kevin's relationship and how that separated them and kind of how that whole fact relationship developed and you know kind of how that all factors into everything and and where everything stands nowadays Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening.